what we hope uh, happens at Grace Valley Church is that we would be a church where every member, every part of this church, every person who makes this church their home would be someone who uh, not only comes to church to get or to receive gospel ministry, but is part of this church in order that they might offer or, or give gospel ministry as well. You may have heard me say uh, before that there is a difference between attending a missional gospel-centered centered church and participating in a missional gospel-centered church. And our hope at Grace Valley is that, that everybody who comes here doesn't simply attend, doesn't come just to get sort of their, their spiritual batteries charged so that they can go off and, and do the next thing in their life that they're looking for, uh, but that it would be a place where they also serve and plug into ministry in order that uh, the body, that is the church itself, and the, and the mission of the church would be built up and supported and encouraged, etc. Now, last week, we talked about holiness. We talked about how holiness is the end game that God has in store for us. What I mean by that is, is that, that Jesus came into this world, yes, to die for our sins. Yes, to teach us how to live in a way uh, that, is, that is honoring to God. Yes, to uh, reconcile us to Him. All those things are very important. But what he's really come to, to, to do is to see that we would grow in holiness, that we would grow in our devotion to Christ, in our commitment to Christ, in our, if I dare put it this way, in our obsession with Christ, that he would more and more become the vortex of our lives, the center around which everything else revolves. That's what we talked about last week. Um, what we're going to talk about this week is what that kind of looks like practically in our lives, particularly as it relates to our relationship with the local church. Uh, next week, as, as, as you know, is a Ministry Sunday, and we're hoping that you will peruse the tables. If you're not participating in a ministry as of yet, you'll certainly peruse the tables, and you'll, you'll see what ministries are, are conducted here at Grace Valley Church, and you will commit, you will sign up, literally sign on the dotted line and say that you will, I don't know, you will provide soup once a month for soup and social, or you'll help out at community dinners in cleaning up or setting up, or you'll dare come to, to grief share and participate in it and learn how you can walk alongside people who are grieving, whatever. The, the thing we want is we want commitment. We want, we want you to like physically put your name down so that you can't say like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll be there. And then, you know, 20 minutes before the event happens, you, you, do, you send that text. Oh, I can't make it. Sniffly kid. Or, you know, my favorite show is coming off Netflix tomorrow, and I got to make sure I watch the rest of the episodes or whatever. Okay? So we hope that, that people are going to participate in this. And what I want to do this morning is I want to give you gospel motivation to serve in the ministries of the church. I could guilt you easily enough into serving in the ministries of the church, but I want to give gospel motivation, not, not guilt motivation, and that's what we're going to do as we look at our text together this morning. So for just a few minutes, we're going to look at Romans 12, these few verses, and we're going to see several things. The first thing what we're going to see here is the essence of Christian living, the essence of Christian living. Look at verse 1. 
It says in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Living sacrifices, Paul says. What a strange construction if you think about it, right? Now, the people who first heard this, these are ancient people, so they would understand quickly what Jesus, or what Paul is talking about. They were either Jews or Gentiles, but regardless, they lived in an era where people uh, routinely uh, made animal sacrifices to uh, their God. So they would take a lamb, or they would take a bull, or they would take some pigeons, or whatever. They would take these, these animals, and they would kill them, put them on an altar. And the reason they did that was to show their fidelity, show their commitment, show their allegiance or devotion to this God who was to receive this dead animal on the altar. But, but Paul says something weird. He says, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, he's saying, you should be a living killing. You're alive, but you're a sacrifice, so, so you're a, a living killing. What on earth am I getting at? What does Paul mean by this? Well, what he's getting at is that, that for a Christian, every day, every hour, every moment of your life, you should be deliberately, you should be continually, you should be consciously offering your whole self, your entire self, to God. This should be happening constantly. This should be something that, that never, never ends. And it's very intense. I mean, think about this. The, the Old Testament sacrifices, you go to the temple, you take your, your goat, you slit its throat, slap it on the altar, burn it, do the ritual, and then you're done, and you go back to your life, and you kind of carry on. But that's not how it is for a Christian. Because the killing... Offering your body as a living sacrifice means that the killing, the offering of yourself to God, it's never over. It happens all the time, every single day of your life. Now, what are you killing? Well, it's just this. You're killing the human impulse, the, the human drive, the human urge to live your life any way that you see fit. You're, you're killing this, this, this desire that all human beings are born with to have absolute autonomy over our lives and say, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to live, this is what's going to be mold, uh, uh, this is what I'm, uh, is going to be my, my goal, my aspirations with my life. You are born, all human beings are born with this, this longing, this desire to own themselves, to own their lives. And to offer your body as a living sacrifice means that you are saying, I'm holding nothing back. Because think about your body, your body. Paul is using the word body comprehensively. Your soul, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, the inner self, it can't express itself except through your body. That's how it goes from thoughts, desires, etc., to actions. And so when Paul uses this word body, he is saying you're supposed to be using absolutely every part of who you are as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice to your God. What Paul is saying is, is that if you are a Christian, 
there cannot be any part in your life where you say, sorry, God, you can't go there. Paul says in another place, he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Let's, let's take a real estate metaphor here. Imagine, imagine you go and you buy a home. You pay the owner. You become the owner of the home, and you move in. But that owner says, well, this, this house has eight rooms in it, and you, you get seven of them, but this eighth one you don't get. The eighth one you may not go in, that's actually my room, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to continue to use that as I see fit. But because you've bought the house, I'm going to let you into all the other rooms and do with them as you wish. You'd say, excuse me, pal, but look at the deed, look at the title, it says my name on it, I own the whole kit and caboodle. Not just, every, not just 90%, not just 80%, not just 99%, all of it is mine. Now, the Bible says that when you die to yourself and you are a new creation, you are bought with the blood of Jesus and now you are His. He owns you. And the Holy Spirit comes and He moves into your house and you're going to say to the Holy Spirit, I got eight rooms in this house and you can have all seven of these ones, but you can't have that one. Makes no sense makes no sense. To be a Christian, friends, is to put to death the idea that you know what's best for you. It's, it means to put to death the idea that you should do what you think should happen in your life. It's a great metaphor that Paul is using, a living sacrifice, because you see, if you actually do that, it can feel like a death at times. It can feel like death. Jesus says, he says, anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. It's the same concept. Here you are and you say, this is what I do. I suspect some of you do this too because, you know, frankly, in my experience of 20 years of ministry, human beings are not all that different. We're kind of all very, very similar. And so what we do is we say, okay, I'm going to give myself to Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to follow His agenda. I'm, I'm going to, to go wherever He calls me to go. I'm going to do whatever He calls me to do. I'm all in for Jesus. And then Jesus comes along and He gives you an assignment. Like we heard from Olivia and from Nathan, He gives you a very difficult assignment. Perhaps He gives you an assignment to live with a debilitating illness for your entire life. So He gives you something that you don't want. Or perhaps he takes something from you that you don't want. Your father dies in your, in your late teens, and, and now you're left without that, that often that stalwart uh, uh, guide in your life, and, and God has taken that from you. And, and when, we, when we said at one point, yes, I want to give everything to God, and I'll follow him wherever I go, and then he gives me something I don't want, or he, or he tells me to give up something that I don't want to give up, now we say, ow, that hurts, and we're surprised that he's doing this to us. Every day that you die to your agenda can feel like Jesus is killing you. And you know what? He is. He is killing you. He's killing your old nature. Okay? Now, where am I? I'm lost in my thoughts here. Yeah, I can feel like a death. He's... <laughs> Oh, yeah, now I remember what I want to say. What a great sales pitch for Christianity, eh? I don't know. 
there's a lot of people in this building. I'm assuming some of you aren't Christians. And you're listening to me talk about this, and, and you're saying, okay, so to be a Christian means I have to give up my control of my life. Oh, and when I do that, it's going to feel like I'm being killed. That sounds like a terrible sales pitch. And it's true, it is a terrible sales pitch. And it is a death, but here's the, the secret. It's a death that ultimately leads to life. Look what Jesus says in the, in the last part, sorry, Paul says in the very last part of that verse, he says, this is your true and proper worship. Now, I cannot go into details uh, about this uh, right now. You can talk to me after the service if you want to, but, but let me just summarize it very simply. The Bible teaches that everybody worships something. The Bible teaches that our hearts cling to something. There's something that we look to for our satisfaction, and so we love that thing, and we trust that thing, and we obey that thing because we are wired to be that way to have some ultimate in our lives that we look to as the thing that is going to give us what we need to make life worth living. But here's the thing. Not all worship is true and proper because you see what you live for, you're going to sacrifice for. So, there are many people who down through the ages, they have lived for reputation or they have lived for success. They have lived for the accolades that come with, with being someone who has made it in the world. And so what did they do? They sacrificed family for the sake of career. Some of them just never married, never had children. Others married and had children but neglect, neglected them for the sake of that idol. It wants a sacrifice. Other people have lived, lived for, for the the. the the accolades or for the sense of, of self-worth that comes from being beautiful, being attractive, being, being what the world sees as, as, as something worth looking at. And so they have sacrificed their own health. They have sacrificed relationships. They have sacrificed all kinds of things. Now, you can have true worship and you can have false worship. False worship is when you give yourself to something that when it calls for your sacrifice and you lay yourself on its altar, that thing actually tears you up and is never satisfied. True worship is when you sacrifice yourself for that thing that you were meant to sacrifice yourself for and you discover that it's actually life-giving as opposed to life-sucking. That's what Jesus, or that's what Paul is getting at here. When you give yourself to God and allow Him to make the decisions around how you are to live your life and what to center your life on, that's true and proper worship because you are built. You were created to worship Him. Again, I can't go into more depth. If you want to know more, talk to me after the service. What does that look like then? What does it look like to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God? Well, that's what we're going to look at in the rest of our time together. This passage offers several things. First of all, look at verse 2. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's talking about worldview. Every human being has to live with a certain set of unprovable assumptions that guide and direct their lives and the decisions that they make in their lives. Some of those assumptions are things like there is no God, the universe is eternal, uh, everything that exists is simply a compounding of time plus chance, 
plus matter, and therefore you and I all have to create our own meaning and create our own identity. And, and whether you believe that there is a beginning in the universe or not, one of the stories of our secular culture is that you have to create your own identity. Look inside yourself. Who are you? Who do you want to be? And then express that self outwardly to the world and make sure that the world affirms that decision about who you want to be. The problem with that is, of course, that you can't be sure that that identity is fixed. You can't be sure that 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 identity will last. You can't be sure that that identity fits with the grain of reality. And you certainly can't be sure that people will affirm that identity. No matter how much You demand it from them. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What he means by that is, is that a Christian looks at that worldview and he says, wait a minute, no, I don't believe that. I believe what Paul talked about in Romans 1 through 11, which is all the doctrines of the Christian faith laid out in a relatively systematic way, and that becomes the lens through which I understand the world. I don't have to create my own identity. You know... No, I'm not going to. I don't have to create my own identity. I look to my creator as the one who has given me my identity. And so, I live a life of, of peace, and I live a life of joy, and I live a life of purpose. I wake up every morning knowing what in the world I'm doing on this, this little marble that we call earth that's spinning around the sun in this tiny solar system, in this one tiny galaxy, in this humongous massive universe where you feel so small and so insignificant. You wake up every day and you say, I am not small, I am not insignificant because the creator of the universe actually knit me together in my mother's womb as Psalm 139 says and he knows me better than I know myself and every breath that I take means that I have a purpose in this life. What a way to live. The teaching ministry of Grace Valley Church is meant to equip you for that. We have certain classes that are being called this fall, uh, being uh, offered this fall. I encourage you to peruse them and consider ways that you could participate in them. So that's the first thing. The second thing, however, is verse 3. Paul says, for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Simple fact is, human beings are not very good, uh, are not very good at assessing their gifts and abilities we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And, and I know that might sound strange in, in a culture where, and in a time where, where we hear a lot about people having low self-esteem and statistics about low self-esteem are very, very high. But study after study, and this is even in the last couple of years, they confirm that comparatively speaking, we rate ourselves higher than other people around us. So when 85% of respondents to a survey say that they are uh, above average in generosity, that doesn't work mathematically, does it? But that's what the studies show. The studies show that we tend to see that, see that we are better drivers than average. We tend to believe that we are more moral than average. I know you think you're a better driver than average because when somebody cuts you off, you don't go, hey, man, happens to all of us. I'm an idiot sometimes too. You go, what's wrong with that idiot? 
That's how we are. We, as Christians, have a different benchmark. Because you see, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you're a Christian, you can actually take those, those, those preconceived notions about yourself as being more favorable than others and lay them aside and look at yourself accurately. That's what Paul means when he says, judge yourself with sober judgment. He means accurate, because as a Christian, you know that you are loved by God, you know that your Creator delights in you. If you ever wonder and waver about that, you return to the cross and you see that He was willing to send His own Son, His perfect Son, His beloved Son, to stand in your place and die on that cross for your sins so that He could purchase you and make you His own. And so anytime you ever wonder if God loves you, you look at the cross and you are profoundly reminded that you are. And so you don't need to prove your yourself to anybody. You don't need to spin your life. You don't need to get the perfect Instagram picture so that everybody can say, wow, look at how awesome they are. You don't have to bother with that. You know. You know that the one who really matters calls you the apple of his eye. I forget which psalm that's in. I should have looked it up before the service, but it's always blown me away that God calls you, especially you, but me too. It blows me away that God calls any of us the apple of his eye. And so we can look at ourselves with sober judgment and, and not have to, have to accomplish things for anyone. We can be honest. And that is so freeing, friends. Here's how it's freeing, because this is the third thing you will be willing to serve. You won't be worried about your image. You won't be worried about your performance. I'm going to camp here for a minute. This is verses 4 through 8. In verses 4 through 8, Paul lists a whole bunch of uh, gifts, right? So there's serving, there's prophesying, there's teaching, there's encouragement, there's giving, interestingly enough, there's, there's leading, there's showing mercy. These are all different gifts, now, this isn't, this isn't a comprehensive list, okay? There's other lists. 1 Corinthians 12 has a list. Ephesians 4 has a list. 1 Peter 4 has a list. But these are lists of gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are gifts, okay? Look at verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Given to us. A gift is not something you earn. Gift is not something you create. Gift is not even a natural ability like, like athleticism, let's say. Or maybe you're really artistic, you know, there are some people who, when they draw, I, it just blows my mind. My stick man is about as, as good as I ever got. And there are others who can create things like that. Or there are people who are good at math. Aren't they the weirdest people, admittedly? People who understand calculus? When you say sine, cosine, tangent, they actually know what you're talking about? I remember when my kids were in grade 8 and they needed help with their math, I'd look at this thing and I'd be like, I, I, I don't have a clue what this means anymore. Bed mass? You guys remember bed mass? I don't even know what that stands for anymore. These are talents. These are abilities we have. Sometimes there's overlap between spiritual gifts and talents, but the point is this. Gifts are things given to us by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church. You notice that Pete, Paul calls the church a body and that we are members of one another. Think about how 
all the parts of a body have to work together in order to have a healthy functioning body. I, uh, this summer, I got terrible golfer's elbow and tennis elbow in the same arm. And I, I don't, I don't golf, I didn't golf hardly at all. I don't play tennis at all. I had terrible, terrible golfer's elbow. Anyway, I go to the osteopath, right? The osteopath, they're, they're like the shaman of the medical community, right? So you go to an osteopath and they, they make you stand and sit and turn and they keep going like this over your shoulders and checking stuff out and you tell them what's wrong with you and they fiddle around a little bit there but my osteopath, it wasn't long before he starts messing around up here. Next thing you know, he's down here. He's got me laying on my stomach and he's pushing on that and pushing up there and all this kind of stuff and I'm like, this has nothing to do with my elbow and he's like, oh, Padawan, poor little Padawan. <laughs> Do you not understand? No, I don't understand. You are all connected. It is all one. Sure enough, after messing with my back and my shoulders, all of a sudden my elbow starts feeling better. Because we're all connected, you see. We cannot function on our own. Here's the point. We need one another. If, if you're a believer and you come to church and all you come for is getting some good teaching, getting your batteries charged, and you're not giving, you got to understand, you're not just hurting yourself when you're not participating in ministry and the opportunities to use your gifts for God's glory, which is incredibly satisfying, you're hurting the whole church, the whole body. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. How can we be followers of Jesus Christ and not serve it. Now, people might say, well, this is a big church, getting bigger all the time. It's very exciting. And you might think to yourself, well, you know, this church doesn't need me. What do I have to offer the church? Look, are you saying you're a useless body part? Like you're like an appendix? Don't really need it? Or apparently your tonsils? A lot of us get those taken out and you think, well, we don't really need this. No, no, no. You can live without a toe. It's true. You can live without your big toe. But what that means is, is that other parts of the body, they have to pick up the slack. They have to compensate. And so when you don't have a big toe, then you have to walk a little bit funny. You might limp a little bit, and then that puts pressure on your hip. And the next thing you know, your back hurts. And the next thing you know, your tooth is throbbing, and you've got to go to the osteopath. So you hurt the rest of the body. And understand something. When a, if you cut yourself off from ministering in the body... The body lives on, but the body part dies. You can live without a big toe, but the toe cannot live without the body. You know what it means to be dismembered, don't you? We're a living sacrifice, Paul says. And the way we serve one another, as he says in verse 6, is with our different gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Every one of us has a spiritual gift, probably more than one. But the point is, is that your gift set, it is like a fingerprint. It is, it is utterly unique to you, which means that there are people only you can touch or there are there are ways that people need to be touched that only you can touch in that way. 
And it takes time to figure out sometimes what your gifts are, what your abilities are. But you don't sit around and go, well, I don't know what my gift is, and therefore, I guess I just sit here and wait until God somehow reveals it to me. You know what you do? You test your gifts. You commit to things that need to be done simply because they need to be done, and you do it. You say, I don't want to teach grace kids because those kids, they're wild and crazy and off the wall. Or you say, I don't want to make soup for soup and social because, you know, I'm not a very good, uh, very good chef and I don't know if people will like it. I, I don't know if I want to go and sit with people who are grieving the loss of a loved one and grief share and carry the burden of that weight. Do you think Jesus wanted to wash his disciples' feet? Do you think Jesus said, you know, this, this is a ministry that I have just been chomping at the bit to, to launch with my little community. No, he, he called them together to celebrate the supper, and as they met for the supper, none of them was willing to, to humble themselves and do what needed to be done, which was wash them, wash their feet in preparation for the meal, and Jesus, our Savior, humbled himself and did that simply because it needed to be done. Last thing. Where do we get this power to serve, even to do things that we may not really want to do, but they need to be done? How do you get the power to take your hands off your own life and, and give it to God so that He has absolute control of it? To live out of this different worldview than the, the one that is constantly communicated to us by our culture? What's going to give us the power to give the time? Because frankly, that's what a lot of you is, that's what for, for a lot of you, that's what's holding you back. You say, I don't have time. And yes, it's going to cost you time to serve in ministries in the church. Of course, it's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you resources. Go back to verse 1. Paul says, therefore. Every seminary student will use this in a sermon at some point. Whenever you read a therefore, we must ask ourselves, what's the therefore, therefore? And it's good teaching. What's the therefore, therefore? What's, what's Paul getting at? He's saying, in view of, in light of, what you have heard me say to you in chapters 1 to 11. In light of that, Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Well, you go back to Romans 1 uh, and read through chapters 1 through 11, and what you discover is you get this, this grand story of how God created this world and revealed himself in it in majesty and in beauty, but we rebelled against him and said, no, we don't want to worship you. We want to worship other things, created things like ourselves or, or uh, like, like birds and reptiles or whatever, and God had every right to condemn us because of that. But instead of doing so, he chose to send his own son to, to suffer and to die for selfish me monsters like you and I, who are hell-bent on ruining their lives, and yet he was willing to be a dying sacrifice so that you and I could be living sacrifices. Romans 3, verses 21 to 25. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for listen for it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 
and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. How can you come to grips with the God of the universe in the person of Jesus Christ? He gave Himself utterly for you. How can you not give yourself utterly to Him? It's the only proper response. It's the only reasonable response. It is our true and proper worship. Offer yourself, friends. Take that step in faith and offer yourself to serve in the kingdom of God. Jesus Himself said it is better to give than to receive that's true, but you won't know it's true until you experience it. You won't know it's true until you do. Let's pray. Father, teach us. Teach us to be living sacrifices, daily offering ourselves to you. Father, help us to test our gifts and discover how you would use us in your church. May we be worried less, Lord, about how good we are at things and more worried about what needs to be done. And as we do that, Lord, may we see that the body, the church, your, the body of Christ is healthy and strong and able to fulfill the mission of having the glory of God and the knowledge of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Do this, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.